Last Sunday, we began our summer uh, sermon series on David, the king's triumphs. First, we saw David's reaction to the death of Saul and Jonathan, the man after God's heart, lamented the death of his persecutor with a compassion for the common good of his nation and celebrated the covenantal friendship of Jonathan, his BFF. And today, we will see what David did after mourning the death of the old king. And guess what he did? He waited again, I say again, because he's been waiting, and now he's waiting again for seven and a half years to become the king of the entire nation of Israel. So God made David wait again. And from that we can see clearly God wanted David to be a patient person. And here is an important biblical fact and spiritual principle. When God calls someone for his purpose, God does not hurry up. God takes time. For instance, it took 25 years for old Abraham to receive God's promise of a son. It took 13 years for Joseph to see God fulfilled the dream that, 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 uh, dream that he becoming the prime minister of Egypt. When Moses volunteered to liberate Israel at the age of 40, God first made Moses lead and take care of a dumb ship in the Median desert for 40 years. So when God calls us, we must know that God wants us to learn to wait. God wants us to be patient. Why? Maturity always takes patience and perseverance. You know, if you look at the, all the apostles and their letters, you know, they all say how critical patience and perseverance was. You know, James said, you know, let the endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Also, Peter said in the second Peter, you know, to faith, to knowledge, add a to, uh, to faith, add a knowledge, and the knowledge, add a self-control, and also to self-control, he said, endurance. And uh, after endurance, finally, godliness comes. So there is a pastor, you know, John Oldberg, who said this. Uh, here's a quote. Biblically waiting, biblically waiting is not just uh, something Something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. So Otberg, he's trying to say so waiting is not just a process. It's not just you know, standing idly in the, you know, on the line. Actually, waiting is a modern process. Waiting is a prerequisite. Waiting for God's promise According to the Bible, it's a never passive thing. It is actually active thing. There are things that we do and prepare to receive the fulfillment of God's promises while we are waiting. Such an active preparation or proactive waiting transforms us to become kind of people God wants us to be. Today, I want to share with you the three things David did while waiting for his king, full kingship in the next seven and a half years. So 
Let's read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 for the first, you know, uh, first, uh, first lesson. In the course of the time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. And the Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron. The Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Abinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and settled in Hebron and his town. And then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king of the tribe of Judah. When David, oh, king of tribe of Judah, up, up to there, right. So first thing David did was praying to God. And the first one said, David inquired of the Lord. So here is the first thing David did, and the you know, lesson for us. That is, a patience and perseverance, first of all, it means regular prayer. Regular prayer. You know, we all know that praying is good and recommendable, right? Now, what is a good prayer? You know, good prayer, I must say, is a regular prayer. You know, what is a regular prayer? For that, let me remind you the uh, dictionary definition of a regular. Do you have that one? Yeah. Regular, in dictionary, is an adjective. It means first usual, normal, customary, evenly or uniformly arranged, symmetrical, characterized by fixed principle, uniform procedure. And then look at the you know, fourth definition. Regular means recurring at fixed time or periodic. Regular means it's a very periodic, very consistent. So good prayer is like a good exercise. You know, people who exercise well, they exercise regularly, right? And the people who pray well, they pray regularly. In order to pray well or regularly, we need to designate a place and time for daily prayer. Just like you don't just exercise when you feel like. If you just uh, you know, exercise when you feel like, let me tell you, you will not exercise much. You know, people who exercise, they usually have a time and place to exercise, right? And uh, in my house, I have two prayer spots. I have a prayer chair, and then I have a prayer desk. And uh, so I go back and forth. David did not move until he prayed, and God gave him a direction. Uh, by the way, don't feel bad or confused that God gave David a specific reply. You know, twice David asked for God, and twice God gave him a clear answer. You know, we have to recognize that David's time was before the scripture was, you know, was available. You know, today God gives us a direction and guidance through his word and his community. If you want to know how to discern the will of God or hear God speaking to you, I really recommend uh, you to take the seven realities for experiencing God. You know, there you learn. You know, some of you, you know, remember, right? So God told David to go to uh, Hebron. Why Hebron? Hebron was a historical place, 16 miles south of Jerusalem, 
where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, were buried. It was a major leading town for the tribe of Judah. As soon as David and his entourage arrived uh, at Hebron, the man of Judah, verse 4 said, came and anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. This anointing was very important because it was a first public recognition of David as a king. You know, when David was anointed first by Prophet Samuel in the first Samuel chapter 16, it was a private and clandestine because Saul was alive and suspicious of any, you know, what kind of king would, you know, like the, somebody else be anointed, you know, anointed to be a next king. So now Saul was gone and there was no more need to hide. And some people, by the way, some people think that the David's move from Ziggurat to Hebron was nothing special but very productive, I mean predictable and you know, expected. Well, for me, this predictable and logical move actually makes David's regular prayer more special because David asked God's confirmation and guidance even for predictable steps. Here I remember one very important you know, advice from a, a Baptist pastor. I forgot his name, but what he said always resonated in my mind. He said, if you work for God, you will fail. But if you work with God, you will succeed. Think about this statement. If you work for God, you will fail. But if you work with God, you will succeed. You know, it really, really, I totally concur with this statement. Because, you know, when you think that you're doing something for God, two things will happen. Either you feel so inadequate and overburdened, or you did something good and you will be over arrogant. <laughs> so either, either way, it's not healthy. And eventually, you become like, uh, you know, uh, those, you know, Jonah or Elijah that are, oh, I work for God, Where is, but God didn't help me when I don't get the result that I expected. So working for God is a really dangerous. But there's another way to work with, you know, working for God. That is, actually, you work with God, then you know God is one who is leading you. And God is accompanying you, keeping a company with you. And more than anything, God is taking the, actually, the weight of the yoke with you and for you. So when you work with God, that's when you see and feel that your yoke is easy. Do you remember the Matthew 11, verse 20? In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am a gentle and humble in heart, and will give you, you will find the rest for your souls. And for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus never said, work for me. Jesus said, come to me first, and I'll give you the rest. And then when you come to, you know, what the, and then Jesus said, Come to me first and take my yoke with me. 
Let's share yoke together, and then your burden will be light. Prayer is how we come to God and find the rest. You know, without prayer, our yoke of a life is actually very hard. The burden that we bear, you know, for family and even ministry and then, you know, all the thing, good things that we try to do is actually very heavy. So, as we've seen before in David's in wilderness, and also we'll see in the first half of 2 Samuel, David, one great thing that David did while he was waiting for his full kingship was he constantly inquiring of the Lord. And the Lord was continually giving David direction and wisdom. And there we see the picture of a biblical triumphant life, which is co-laboring with God. So you know what I do first thing in the Monday morning? First thing I do Monday morning is that I pray for every house church shepherds to be consistently committed to prayer covenant. Do you know your house church, your shepherd, they pray for you 20 minutes a day, you know, four times a week, you know, four days out of a week. And uh, we cannot really glorify God unless we enjoy God. And the way that we enjoy God is through prayer. We are asking God to work with us and lead us. So that's the first thing David did. Now, guess what the first thing David did at, in, at Hebron as the king of Judah? Okay? Usually, when a new king uh, comes to, uh, came to his throne, after such a long struggle like David, the kings would usually recognize and reward those who served him for a long time, especially a difficult time. Guess what the first royal act of David was? He recognized and commanded the northern tribe named the people of Jabesh Gilead. And that's the second point. So look at the... Uh, Oh, we will. Let's, let me let me read a passage first. Let's look at the uh, chapter uh, uh, verse four again. So after David was anointed as a king of Judah, and when David was told that it was a man from Jabesh Gilead who had a buried soul, he sent a messenger to them and said to say to them, "The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him." May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead. The people of Judah have anointed me king over them. Now, who are the men of Jabesh Gilead? Now, if you look at the map, if you look at the map now, Look at the far, you know, north corner. Yes, oh, oh there was a, 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 what is it, arrow, the red arrow on the map. That's the Jabesh Gilead. So, uh, they were one of the Israelites who lived in the east of the Jordan River. They were called the so-called uh, uh, Transjordan tribes. Do you guys remember when Joshua was conquering, you know, Promised Land? Some of the uh, you know, Israelites, they say, oh, we like to stay on the, actually not the west of Jordan River, but east of Jordan River. 
And uh, they, you know, so this is one of those people. And then 1 Samuel chapter 11, Jabesh Gilead was invaded and threatened by a people named Ammonite. Ammonite or the descendant of Amnon, the second son of Lot and his daughters in Genesis 19. Anyway, and Ammonite, they besieged Jabesh Gilead and they threatened them saying that regardless of your surrender, we're still going to humiliate you, and much more we will gouge right eye of every Jewish man. So that Jabesh Gilead, they sent out SOS to the rest of Israelite. And guess who responded uh, their request for, you know, uh, 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 for rescue? It was uh, Saul. And actually, it was a uh, first act of uh, uh, Saul's, you know, good, first and then, you know, great act of Saul's kindness. Saul, under this Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he rallied the Israelite, uh, Israelites and then rescued Jabesh Gilead from the uh, invasion of uh, Ammonite. Now, when the man of Jabesh Gilead heard that Saul was killed by Philistines, and they, you know, Philistines, they decapitated Saul and stripped his armor and nailed his naked body along with those of Saul's sons on the wall of the town of Bashan in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Guess what the Jabesh Gilead people did? They went courageously, in the middle of the night, they took the bodies of Saul and his son from the wall and to return to their hometown. And there, they, 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 uh, they burned their, you know, the bodies already, you know, mangled. So they burned and then collected the bones and buried them at their town. And then they fasted seven days and mourned for Saul. So people of Jabesh Gilead, they never forget their gratitude to King Saul. And they demonstrate their unfazed gratitude to their now dead king. The first and then first royal act of a, a royal act of David was to recognize this faithful, grateful, covenantal people. So David said, verse you know, five and six, twice David said, You showed kindness to Saul and then may the Lord show the same kindness to you. The word for kindness is a hesed. You know, the loyal love or covenantal, you know, faithfulness, you know, that uh, Old Testament version of, uh, you know, grace. That's what, you know, David uh, proclaimed. So, David, the second thing that David did was he was a promoting right people. He was a promoting right people. David knew there was no righteous kingdom without the right or righteous people. And uh, now, we are like a right people or good people, righteous people of a loyal love or faithful friendship like uh, people of uh, Jabesh Gilead. And then we think the more right people we have, the richer our life will be. True? But how do you recognize and promote such a right people? 
Many people just think that uh, whoever likes me, they are the right people for me. You know, for David, right people are not just those who like him, but those who did the right things. Even if they show their kindness to their, his adversary Saul, their kindness, their kindness made them right people. You know, we often think about how many people are on my side or for me. You know, the more important question is how many people on my side are doing the right things or things of God. This reminds me of a, you know, a, a well-known story about President Abraham Lincoln. You know, uh, during the American Civil War, one of the uh, President Lincoln's cabinet, uh, cabinet members told the President Lincoln that, uh, oh, he was relieved that God was on the side of union. You know what Lincoln said? Lincoln said, sir, my main concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is for us to be on God's side because God is always right. You know, Lincoln is a very wise and humble and realistic. He knew that as a human being, I can be wrong. With all due respect, I won't try to be right, but I can be wrong. Do you know that, right? So, the great challenge for us who assume that, you know, many times we assume that God is there to support our plans and our perspectives and our decisions and our desires. Well, Lincoln's reply reminds us that even our best plans, you know, sometimes may not be near to God's desires. So it is really a humbling at the same time, really important question. Now, David says, Psalm 139, that search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think, you know, that's a prayer that we need to do, especially this time of our country. You know, we are so divided, and we so vilify each other. And instead of vilifying each other, we need, as a Christian, we need to set the example. We need to examine ourselves before God first. And before tell other people to correct their ways, we need to repent ourselves first, our disobedience to God first. And, you know, we are not responsible for the change of other people. We are responsible for our own changes. And the God's principle is when we repent, God will use our repentance and humility to touch other people's heart. In due time, they will also repent. Now, you know, this summer we have a lot of new people, uh, uh, not a lot, usually summer is when the new people, you know, moving to the town. As a result, they are checking out, the, you know, churches. And then we really welcome those uh, transplanted, you know, Texans here. And, uh, I want us to know this. Let us welcome not just those people who like us or even like it for us, but more than that, those who really want to do the right thing for God. And the, what I mean by right thing for God is that anyone who wants to do a biblical church or a New Testament church, not a cultural church, not a, you know, those people will welcome, will share our vision, and we'll work together. Now, 
Uh, let me move on to the final point. While David was seeking God's direction through prayer and seeking to promote the right people in his kingdom, what happened? Guess what happened? Look at the verse 8. Uh, uh, let, uh, uh, in the second Samuel, um, continue. Yeah, yes. The uh, Abner, son of Ner, uh, commander of Saul's army, has taken Ishibosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Menahem. He made him king over Gilead, Asheri, Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishibosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. He reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. So while David was doing everything right and good, guess what? Not everybody agreed with David and supported him. There were still people who resisted David. And such a person was Abner. You know, because you follow God obediently, don't expect an automatic applause from people around you. Don't assume that when you have a right idea, people will support you and share the same vision with you. Especially, you know, husband and wives. You know, be careful when you have a great idea because your spouse might not think that was a great idea. I'm speaking from my own experience. You know, so third point is this. Patience means patience for resistant people or even problematic people. And we must recognize, even when our perspective is good, not everyone sees our perspectives. It takes a time, sometimes a long time, people to come around. You know, several weeks ago, I was so encouraged uh, during my walk. You know, I walk every day. It, you know, it's a new habit that uh, God blessed me in this pandemic. And uh, I, 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 I'm now avid listener of uh, uh, podcasting. So I have a lot of uh, my favorite great podcasting, you know. And I was listening to uh, one organizational leadership expert. And, uh, you know, his talk, and uh, I, was, I was happy to hear when he said, it takes average seven years to change organizational culture. It takes us seven years. And the reason it really, I was encouraged, uh, encouraged by this statement is that, you know, we've been doing a house church ministry for almost over three years, even though, you know, including pandemic. And uh, we've been, I've been praying for every house church weekly. And, uh, you know, some house churches I pray twice a week. And uh, they are BIPs. And, but I haven't seen that many BIPs in past two years. And I must confess that sometimes I was worried. And because I was worried if our house church, you know, ministry becoming another just a program for small group ministry in the church. And once again, you know, we are ruthlessly, you know, assimilating this biblical principle into just another convenience based uh, religious consumerism or kind of, you know, American cultural Christianity. So I, I was, to be honest, sometimes I was worried. 
And when I heard that it takes time, we are barely in the halfway of the seven years. And I know every house church, and I know several people are really trying to reach out to BIP. And actually, you know, I'm actually uh, working with uh, somebody. Uh, we are sharing BIP. So her BIP, but uh, I tag along. And so we are kind of uh, working as a tag team. And I can't wait to have a, you know, a dinner with you know, our BIP in, in coming end of the July. Now, uh, so Abner, just uh, going back to Abner, let me, let me briefly talk, uh, not briefly, we need to know a little bit of this guy named Abner. Abner, according to 1 Samuel chapter 14, he was actually cousin of us all. He was a commander of us all's army for many years. He even met David in, uh, when David came to fight uh, uh, Goliath. And, uh, you know, do you guys remember last summer when David had a chance to kill uh, Saul? And David actually rebuked Abner for not protecting king. So, now, story of Abner was written in chapter 2 and 3 of 2 Samuel. And this is interesting and somewhat juicy story about the cruel reality of a power and its corruption. Just to sum up, Abner was a David's new adversary. And for his own self-interest, he, Abner, resisted God's plan for Israel and definitely rejected God's promise for David. So he put the Ishibosheth, David, uh, Saul's remaining son, and his nephew, actually, on the throne for the rest of the uh, rest of eleven tribes of Israel, and he did it not out of royalty for his cousin, but because he was a calculated, carnal, and considered man. He loves power. He wants to hold on to power. He wants to milk the situation for his own self-interest. That's the Abner. So if a man of a Jabesh Gilead were right and, right and noble, Abner was opposite. He was repulsive and nasty. And the chapter 2 and 3 basically tells us about you know, the Abner's you know, uh, horrendous, horrible act. And uh, we're going to, you know, I recommend you to re read. Okay, I'm just going to summarize to make a point. So in chapter 2, Abner proposed to Joab, commander of David's army, that uh, in the battle that uh, instead of an entire army is killing each other, why don't he select the 12 young men and let them do a hand, you know, wrestling and then see, you know, which side is stronger and maybe, you know, you know, based, you know. So he, he kind of a, a, a casually proposed a, a, a wrestling match as a form of entertainment. And what happened was it became a hand-to-hand -hand combat and uh, all 12 from each side, so 24 young men, they grabbed the other person's uh, neck, I mean head, and uh, they, they pierced the dagger to each other's body and they all died. And out of the bloody you know, entertainment, the whole battle burst out spontaneously and um, you know, the slaughter is happening on both sides. In that slaughter, Joab's younger brother, Sil was uh, pursuing Abner because Abner was commanding the other army and uh, Joab's younger brother Asael was uh, very fast and uh, very ambitious too. He wants to sort of kill the, you know, the, the commander of the army and he will be the hero, right? But 
Abner was a seasoned warrior, so he pleaded actually Joab's younger brother, Asael, that, oh, you know what, you keep following, pursuing me like that, I have no choice but to you know, defend myself and I'm going to kill you. Well, Asael was a foolish, and he ended up being killed by Abner. And then, you know, story ended there. Now in chapter 3, another nasty story, nasty story of Abner, Abner decided to sleep with one of the soul's concubines. That was almost a political treason and definitely undermining the royal authority of his nephew. Now, when Ishibosheth protested, you know what Abner said instead of apologizing? He said, You are not great, you know, you should be more grateful to me than that. So Abner became a bitter and much more. He said, I'm going to hand it over the kingdom to Israel. I mean, kingdom to David. So look at the, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Abner was very angry because what Ishibosheth said. He answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. This is a threat, you know. Yet you now accuse me of an offense involving this woman? I mean, he... Well, may God deal with Abner, beast ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and establish David's throne over the Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishibosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner, because he was afraid of him. Now, Abner was opportunist. And so he came to David. And he promised David that let's send the civil war and uh, I will surrender Saul's army to you. And uh, even though David knew that Abner was a very uh, you know, opportunist for the sake of uh, you know, common good, he worked with uh, Abner. And, uh, you know, if you look at the chapter 3 further, Abner actually told the elders of Israel that, you guys remember that God anointed David to be the next king, so what I'm about to do is the right thing to do. So, you know, he knew what was the right thing to do. But why didn't he do that right thing all this time? His greed simply delayed the future. His self-interest blocked the advancement of God's plan. And finally, when his self-interest sort of, uh, you know, better aligned with David, he just threw his uh, nephew or king, like uh, just a, a gift, political gift to the, uh, for his own interest. Now, if you feel anger toward Abner, we need, to, we need to know, we need to recognize this fact. People, Abner-like people still exist today. Abners are everywhere. Abners are in our government, in our works, in our schools. You know, there are people who place their self-interest above common good of a nation and the will of God. 
So big question is, Abner's around us. By the way, you know, one thing I pray for uh, young people in the church is that uh, they find a good, kind, able, competent bosses. Because, uh, you know, when you start, uh, uh, you know, up to college, you know, your professor is always knowledgeable, wiser. So they can, you, you, you have a respect for people above you. But starting in the corporate world, oftentimes you'll find that your boss is very inept. <laughs> he, 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 he has a, just a position, nothing else above you. And that's very, very uh, disheartening to work for incompetent and sometimes unkind people. So I pray that the God connect, uh, you know, uh, at least a young, young Christian man and woman in our community, that uh, God give them a grace and mercy for uh, first good bosses. And then maybe later they can learn. But fact is, if you ended up working with uh, co-workers or managers like the Abners, know this. What do we do with uh, this kind of a very repulsive and uh, resistant people? What do you do? We keep doing what God called us to do and lead these people to God. That's what David did. You know, David just uh, trying to bring the nation together. He just focused on that. David knew that Abner was an opportunist. But David took his uh, you know, political you know, uh, uh, proposal. And then in due time, God settled the dust. In case of Abner, later in chapter 3, Abner was killed by Joab. Now, I want to uh, uh, bring uh, three important you know, things about the David's behavior here. First of all, on the third point about uh, patience means, you know, uh, uh, patience for the resistant people. You know, God didn't call patience for patience. You know, English word patience is, is very interesting. Sick people we call patient, right? <laughs> Why do we call sick people patient? When you're patient, you become sick. <laughs> you're emotionally sick. <laughs> when you, seriously, you know, when you try to be patient, even with your family, you know, you become a sick inside. You know, you're not happy. You know, it's a painful. So I think there's a great, you know, English word is a very interesting. Sick people, patience. Because patience makes you sick. <laughs> now, First, David refused to force his reign on his subject. Neither will son of David, our Lord Jesus. Like David, Jesus will battle against the pretenders to the throne, but he will never force his reign on mankind. Jesus, Jesus, patiently wait for people to Recognizing. So don't force people to recognize you. You pray for them. You pay, you know, you just, once again, trust that God is working with you and God is uh, actually working ahead of you. Second, David's influence was slow but steadily growing. Let's look at the, uh, one more verse, chapter 3, verse 1. A summary statement. 
the war between house of yeah chapter 3 verse 1 do we have that verse yeah the war between house of Saul and the house of David lasted long time but David grew stronger and stronger while house of Saul grew weaker and weaker while when we try to make a you know uh, 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 so this, about this, I, I just want to say this. There is a one great uh, uh, a book on David written by uh, Alan Rapath. He's a, you know, uh, last generation, is a great, you know, biblical uh, writer and a pastor. And in his book, this is what he said. Do we have that quote? In the lives of, uh, yes, in the lives of uh, many Christians, people today, there is a raising literally a civil war. The flesh, the kingdom of Saul, struggles with the spirit. The kingdom of David, the conflict is bitter. We do everything we possibly can do hold up to the tottering kingdom of self so that it might exist just a bit longer. If only we could preserve some right. If only we could have at least part of our own ways. If only we could keep this or that at any cost. We feel we must bolster up this kingdom of self that we cannot let ourselves to be crucified with Christ. Alan Rappes is basically saying this. Every Christian, there is a civil war inside. We have an internal spiritual war going on. Flesh and spirit is fighting over our soul. So who is winning? David focused on God, and he is winning. And I pray that every one of us, as the years go by, times go by, as a month of 2021 goes by, we are winning the spiritual internal civil war. The Spirit of God is gaining more power and more influence in our heart. Finally, this story of a David gradually becoming a king of Israel comforts us. Because just as a David won, Christ our King, the true Son of David, will win for us. So we are in the winning side, guys. No matter how awful you feel our status or the, the condition of our, our church or our family or our nation, our world, guess what? We belong to the kingdom of Christ. And Christ will lead us to victory because he is our good shepherd. Good shepherd never sends the sheep to the wolf alone. When he sends us, he goes with us and before us and fight for us. Hallelujah. So as David became ultimately the king of a unified nation, Christ will be the Lord of the ultimate kingdom of God. And we will rejoice with him. Amen. Let's pray.